Hello, this is Ken Ferry with this week's Boots in the Field report. I hope everyone is ready to kick off another decade in this exciting agricultural industry. Maybe this will be known as the Roaring Twenties of Agriculture. A lot of questions coming in on picking corn genetics for next year. Where do we start? How do we go about it? We start with yield first. Picking a hybrid that has everything you want but yield, it just doesn't pay the bills. You need to put together your draft board and come up with who is eligible. An eligible hybrid for your farm must have a good track record. If not on your farm, from sources that you can trust. Don't worry about traits or characteristics or leaf structure, plant ear type. Don't even consider price or brand loyalty at this point when we're trying to put our draft board together. Select on performance by maturity group. Realizing full season corns will tend to outperform shorter season corns if the season is perfect. But we must mitigate against weather risk. Because most operations can plant the bulk of their corn in one week, kind of what we saw that one week in June this year, to make sure we don't pollinate all in 100, 110 degree heat, we mitigate this risk by breaking up our maturities. And that means that we plant our early corns first and our later corns last. Some genetics may have the same GDUs to black layer, but different GDUs to pollination. This is another way to mitigate risk. Don't build your whole starting lineup with rookies or one-hit wonders. Put a few of them on the bench, but keep them on a small number of acres until they prove their way. Don't throw out hybrids just because you've been told they are old and the new kid is here to replace it. Keep those hybrids as long as they continue to perform and make the new kids earn their way in the lineup through performance. Once your draft board is picked from multiple maturities, which are all star performers, then group them into early, mid, late season hybrids. Now you have a large pool of candidates to choose from. Now we go back to the field level. Look at each field individually and make a list of its strengths and weaknesses. As a coach, we need to add players to the team that will help strengthen the weak areas in our present lineup. As we look at each field, most growers already know its strengths and weaknesses. This is evident when we go through yield maps this time of year as farmers explain what's going on in the field. They're identifying well-drained areas as well as those areas that uh, tend to be wet, identifying areas that burn up when water gets tight, and those that just crank out corn no matter how dry it is. Growers know the fields that tend to plant first and those that seem to take forever to get dried out. Most farmers don't have the strengths and weaknesses listed out, but they do have them in their heads. I recommend these comments be put into a record for each field and added to the record your pest team collects every year as they're scouting and visiting these fields. In the process of truly identifying a field's weakness and strengths, the management, operators, and the pest team must come together and compare notes. You know, coming to hybrid selection, management may be looking at volume discounts or non-GMO contracts while operating crew is looking at how tough it is to get corn up in a certain field or how quick it runs out of water in another, while the pest team may be concerned about disease like Goss's wilt or resistant weeds that they're trying to control. When all the team coaches put their heads together, you not only have a much better chance of picking the right players to put on the bench or in the machine shed, but you have now better idea what game they're going to play or what field they're going to be in uh, when you when you take them out of that shed. We recruit a bench of players that can handle all situations that arise on the farm. 
You can't have a bench full of quarterbacks. Somebody needs to catch the ball, somebody needs to run the ball, and some of them need to be on the defense. Once the team coaches are in agreement on the strengths and weaknesses of each field, then you can go to the work of picking the players you want to use in each of these fields or games. I know some of you say, can I? I'm, I'm it. I'm the team. It consists of me, myself, and I. Man, in most cases, this is not true. Team may consist of a retailer or a crop scout helping you manage the pest. It might be a marketer helping you with your non-GMO contracts, a seedsman helping you with your hybrid picks. Input is needed from all of these as the lineup decisions are made. Time should be spent thinking about harvest. How soon do we start? How much are we willing to dry? How much corn do we want ready at one time? Breaking up maturities not only lets us mitigate weather risk, it lets us get a start and step through harvest more smoothly. This year is a good example. Having corn at 19% versus 26% by shortening up your maturity, you could have 15 less bushel of corn and still net the same amount of dollars when it comes drying if you wanted to start harvest. While having harvest underway early and not choking the system or bringing it all to town at the same time as your neighbors. So being able to break things up and make that fall run smoother. The next step is to decide on the planting order of your fields. While this can change at a moment's notice, it's amazing how many times the planting and harvest order repeats itself from year to year. Decide what maturity group best fits the field. Is it one you like to plant and harvest first? Maybe due to location or the fact that it can run out of water real quick. Once you know the maturity group you would like to choose from in each field, now you go to the draft board and start picking your players. This is the point where you look for the strengths and weaknesses of the hybrids that you have to choose from. This knowledge coming from your own team's experience with the hybrid, your neighbor's experience, a good seedsman's experience, or product information from the company. Look for the strengths of the hybrid that overcome the field weakness uh, that you're going to put it in. If drainage is poor in the field, a hybrid that doesn't like wet feet is not going to be a good fit. If a hybrid's strength is stability in all environments, but it doesn't really ring the bell in your high-octane fields, it may not be a good pick for your highest-yielding farms. Some weaknesses can be managed around. If a hybrid doesn't have a GMO trait for, let's say, rootworm, a soil insecticide could be used. But if a field has a weakness, let's say, of Goss's wilt, there's nothing we can apply to control it so a hybrid with poor Goss's wilt wouldn't be a good fit. So by the process of elimination, you whittle down the possibilities and the candidates. At this point, there are no losers. You just can tweak that selection for the best fit. Most of our customers can be put into two categories. First category are growers who need to find hybrids that fit their management practices. The second group are growers who will change their management practices to match up to the hybrids they select. If you use the same practice on all fields, you're probably in the first category. If you spray fungicides or use insecticides or change your fertility program depending on the hybrid you chose, then you're going to be in the second category. Growers who change management practices to match hybrids have a much bigger pool to choose from. Growers who implement one-size-fits-all have a narrower pool to pick from, but they must stay in that pool to avoid train wrecks. 
We have stepped up our effort to help you understand the characteristics of hybrids in such areas as leaf structure and ear type. And this is to help in placement, population, nutrient applications, as well as your pesticide applications. This effort is to help you in picking your lineup. Now that you've whittled your selection down to multiple winning candidates, at this point, we can look at price, brand loyalty, volume discounts, things like that to finish out the selection because you can't make the wrong decision here. The more the team is involved in hybrid selection and placement, the better job you'll do. The better your team does at documenting and sharing, the better the decision will be. I have had several calls about dropping the rootworm trait for next year. In most cases, it's a seedsman proposing to drop the rootworm trait on some hybrids, claiming that the hybrids yield better without the trait if rootworm is not present and they are cheaper. This is something several of you have seen in yield maps and plots with rootworm uh, when it's not present. So a situation where you guys have seen these hybrids without the traits do better than traded if rootworm's not an issue. When the question comes up about dropping the trait, it usually pertains to first-year corn, where the grower is not planning to use an insecticide in its place. Well, this was considered almost unconceivable here in Illinois before the great June flood of 2015. There has been a drastic drop in rootworm issues in first-year rootworm ever since 2015 in a big, big part of our customer base, but not all of our customer base. This year, rootworm beetle in the bean fields in August was a kind of a rare sighting. And again, I believe it was due to the amount of luscious green corn that planted in June, which was still green in August and September. It's that August flight, early September flight, that tends to get us in trouble when it moves out of cornfields that are ripening into neighboring bean fields that are luscious green. This year, I believe the beetles stayed home for the most part, as far as I could tell. I do believe rootworm pressure in first-year corn will be low next year for most of our customers. That doesn't mean all of our customers. When a grower asks about going naked next year without trade or insecticide, I ask, what, what did your pest team see in the bean fields this year? Were beetle present in the bean fields laying eggs? There's a pause, and they say, uh, I don't know. Nobody scouted for beetles. At that point, you as a grower must accept the risk of going naked. Rootworm are neighborhood critters. If the neighborhood neighboring field, for instance, is pumpkins, pressure could be high. If all the neighboring fields were in preventive plant with no cover, the rootworm could have moved to your field and laid their eggs. The benefit of a pest team is to eliminate risk like this. I know this seems like a lot of effort to put a hybrid selection, put into hybrid selection but it's worth it. The more you do, the better you're going to get. As we go through hundreds of thousands of acres here at CropTech every fall and look at yield maps, there are two things that affect yield the most that really stand out and, and two of them that stand out above all other factors. Those factors, the number one is water management. A close number two though is hybrid selection. When you choose a hybrid, it should be with a specific place in mind. We don't go out and just buy tractors. We usually have a specific job or jobs intended for it. You research the tractors before you make the purchase. Well, I'm going to tell you, color and size of tractor does not show up in the yield map. So while it seems like a lot of effort to pick a hybrid lineup, it is the one place where time invested creates a big ROI. To stay up to date, Check out our website at croptechinc.com.
www.bootsinthefieldreport.com and subscribe to our podcast, Boots in the Field Report. Keep her safe, keep her moving.